Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. My guest today is Amy Oates. Amy is a mom. She has a grown son named Tanner. She's a wife. She's married to a music superstar, and she splits her time between beautiful homes in Nashville and Aspen. But several years ago, Amy decided she wanted more. She wanted something for herself, something she could sink her teeth into where she felt accomplished and fulfilled. I love talking with Amy, and I can't wait for you to meet her too. Hi, Amy. Welcome. How are you today? Great. How are you doing, Pam? I'm good. Amy, you looked long and hard for something in your life that many of us struggle to find, and that's a passion or a purpose. Research and studies show that it's important to longevity and happiness to have your special it that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do. But that it can be really hard to find. So let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? I grew up outside of Chicago, a little farm community, Kankakee, Illinois. It's about 50 miles south. My parents are still working the same farm. My parents are in their 80s. They're still doing the same thing. It's like going into a time machine when I go back. <laughs> and I know that you had several brothers and sisters, I read. Did any of them decide to help out with the farm when they got older? I'm the youngest of seven, five brothers. My youngest brother, Jude, he is the one who, uh, he's a farmer, and he helps my dad, and uh, they take care of business. They do it all. Well, Amy, you live in Nashville now. How did you get here? Yeah, well, Nashville and Colorado, we still have a place there. We found a, a condo in Nashville shortly after the big flood in like 2010, and we stayed in the downtown area for about maybe three or four years. And then it's funny, on, on Mother's Day 2016, get a phone call from this real estate agent because we were, we were searching. We were searching for like, John said, hey, you know we're living here, right? Mother's Day, got a phone call and we're like, hmm, let's just go and see what this place is all about. And it's in this old historic area, just a couple of miles away from downtown. We're like two miles from a Whole Foods and a Honky Tonk. I'm like, whoop, that's it. <laughs> and we found this old Tudor 1924. So it's that old world feel, but we're just, we're kind of in the middle of everything, but it's like a hideout. It's really kind of cool. So we all within one week, knock on wood, we, we sold our condo and moved into this house. I'd like to hear about your life on the road and how... You brought your son up in a touring musician environment. Sure. Well, gosh, I mean, when Tana was three weeks old, we went on on the road. That was it. I mean, I <laughs> there is these images in my mind with John, you know, running in the airport with Tanner in a bassinet. Is this like those were different times traveling in the airports, <laughs> lugging them around, you know? And that's what it was. That's Tanner. That's all he ever knew was the tour life, and we'd go to museums, and I mean, people would ask me oh my gosh, how can you do that? And well, it's just, our family's just traveling. I mean, other than 
a different environment. It's we're the family. We're the trio. We we go everywhere. We you know museums and science, just whatever. And also, like he'd visit various friends on the road, and he would be kind of like the guest student at their school, which was very cool. So he would go into the classroom, and it just teaches him to be very versatile and flexible, and and just all around, just kind of easygoing and adaptable. And Tanner was homeschooled. Is that correct? Yes. On the road? Mm-hmm. So do you have a teacher that travels with you? The same teacher in every destination? She would, but the way I found her, she was at the library one day and she was on maternity leave. And so I said, hey, this could work out great. <laughs> so she came over and she would supply Tanner with enough schoolwork that we would go out. I mean, we wouldn't go out for months at a time. You know, and she would supply him with the homework and we'd kind of meet up. So we kind of, we made it fit into our lives. Amy, as Tanner got older, he decided that he didn't want to travel around all the time. He wanted to have a more normal upbringing. And he went to regular school. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then what you did? Sure, sure, Pam. It's funny, there was a boarding school in Carbondale, which was only about 30 minutes from us from where we are in Woody Creek. And he worked it out where he was kind of a part-time boarding student. And he just got to the point where, you know, he wanted to hang out with his friends. He, he had enough of mom and dad. <laughs> no, he was 12, he was 13, and he wanted to have more of a routine. And the fact that he made that decision, we had to honor it. We were just like, wow, that's pretty incredible. And it's something he wanted to do. And, and we backed him, we said, absolutely. But it wasn't like he went away to a school. I mean, we'd still see him on weekends when we'd go back home. And just knowing that, you know, he was so young and everything, but he he was in a familiar area when he'd go to school and then come back. And so it was just kind of like an extension of home, you know, surrounded by great family and friends and, and what have you. And it also allowed us more freedom to kind of, we felt that, we were making the right choice as parents, allowing him to make the decision. And well, all of us together, we we're on the same page about going to school and everything. And he was happy. That's what made us happy, basically. Sure. And I can understand how he would feel that way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, th- there was a time I was kind of starting to feel like, gosh, I don't know. I mean, being in a hotel room you know, I mean, is this the healthiest environment? Is this being selfish? I mean, should I stay at home? I mean, there were a lot of thoughts going through my mind when he was kind of getting older. When he was younger, it was easy, easy breezy. You know, it was like no question. But then during that time, we had to kind of reevaluate everyone's priorities, not just ours. So as a collective, it was the right thing. Yeah. And then after Tanner got busier with his school and his social life, you started thinking, like many of us, when our kids go off or we get divorced or we lose a spouse or we retire, now what am I going to do? Now what am I exactly? So, you know, for the first few months or so, it was like, oh, hey, we got our freedom, running around doing this and that, and knowing Tanner's safe and he's doing his thing. And I was like, and then the kind of novelty kind of wore off. And then it was like, okay, uh, there are no other wives on the road, no girlfriends on the road, no other, you know, it was just a men's club. 
And I had, I mean, music wise, what have you. I mean, it was John's thing. It was John's thing. And I just kind of got to the point where I felt like I was just kind of taking up space. But I wasn't being of service. I wasn't putting any kind of, I wasn't inspiring and I wasn't being inspired. I had to do something for myself that was fulfilling and that if I could help enrich or if I can, I guess I kind of lost who I was Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. you know, it was one thing I just felt like, okay, wife, family, mother, everything was complete. And I don't know if it's something similar to like empty nest syndrome or what have you. I kind of felt like that Again, when Tanner actually went away to college, I was like, oh my gosh, I just kind of felt like I was rattling around, you know. But that's when I really had to do some soul searching and find out, okay, here I am in my 40s. I know it just seems like, okay, in your 40s, shouldn't everyone know, you know, who you are? But (laughs) I had to kind of, that's what I thought. I'm like, surely I have passions and hobbies, but that wasn't, it, it almost felt like I was faking it, but I was kind of faking like, hey, I'm busy. But there was still a little bit of like empty kind of like, this is great. And my, it just felt like I was kind of preoccupied in my time or I was just like busy in myself, but it wasn't fulfilling. I totally get it. That's my personal feelings for myself. I totally get it. I've been there. So what did you do? How did you handle this? How did you go about it? You know, I I got desperate enough to (laughs) see that's one thing about me. I don't know if I come from that old world of like whatever, but I was kind of raised to just keep going until finally something sticks. You throw mud on a wall and hopefully, you know, something will stick. So I just said, hmm, I'll take an adult aptitude test, which I did. And I thought, well, this is silly. And by golly, you know, it was kind of telling up the score because I was like, I want to be of service. I love working with flowers. I love doing this and that. And it said, well, floral designer. And I said, that's interesting. I never would consider that. Had you done flower arranging before or had you been creative or gardened or done anything? Well, that's the funny thing, Pam. I grew up on a farm. My parents never walked through wild. I mean, and in Colorado, sure. I planted stuff out there and I I was always, it was like hidden in plain sight. It was always in front of me, Mm -hmm. but I was never interested. So what did you do when they told you that you would be, you have an aptitude for flower arranging? Well, it just sparked me that one little spark. I'm like, oh, cut flowers. It's one thing, like, to be honest with you, I like to garden, but I'm not a huge sun slash digging and all that kind of, you know, I'm not a huge gardener hands in the dirt sort of person. Yeah, that's just not my, there's so many. I I just thought, okay, either you plant flowers and stuff, you're a gardener or nothing. But there's so many different, I mean, a whole world of things pertaining to cut flowers, arrangements, working in a floor, you know, the world just opened up. Especially when I took this course and it gave me a real background, a foundation of, Working for a hospice, uh, hospital flowers, celebration of life. Okay, wait a minute. Let's back up a minute. So tell us about the course. How did you find the course? And tell us about it, please. Well, that was a needle in the haystack, let me tell you, because I was so turned off and just like overwhelmed by 
that's enough to like kind of get me out of the mood right there. Just all of the different schools, it just seemed kind of overwhelming. But this one stuck out that just spoke to me. It was just so easy. Floral Design Institute out of Portland, Oregon. I love the instructor. I love the fact that it was very hands-on, a box of, you know, supplies. It was just very easy. There wasn't so much computer stuff involved. It was more like hands-on and uh, CDs even showed up. I got to stop the CD and watch how she she made the arrangements and I would ship them back to her, the arrangements and take photographs. And it was just very uh, easy. So it was an online flower course. You did not go to Portland to take the course. No. That's so interesting. Very interesting. And I was a little apprehensive. I was like, am I going to be able to do this? Because I did take some additional online courses when I was kind of on the quest to kind of find out, okay, what am I going to do? Go back to school or what do I do? That was a little difficult because I had to keep up with 20-somethings online. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm still on AOL. Okay, so I'm just, (laughs) I'm a dinosaur. I can't keep up. I'm not a whiz-bang digital, you know. So I thought, am I going to be able to do this? This school is like a throwback. Like, I was like, this is fabulous. I get a CD. I can stop. And she gives me a written list of the flowers and ribbons and, and where to find it. It was just very flexible and easy. And it took the pressure off. Because I always thought if I was given the chance to do the work and not have to worry about the technical stuff, that would be ideal. And I found it. So, Amy, you take the flower arranging course. You learn a lot. Yeah. And you know that your aptitude is in flower arranging. You're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So then what? I started searching, you know, floral design and just kind of Googling Florida design, trying to connect it or find something in relation to being of service, Vanderbilt Hospital, volunteer program. And I called up a wonderful woman. I said, there's an application here of volunteer work. I said, I have a proposition. (laughs) I had to sell myself. So you went down the Google rabbit hole. You stumbled on the contact info for the spiritual volunteer coordinator at the Vanderbilt Medical Center. You asked her if she might welcome flower arrangements created by you, donated at no charge to the hospital. And what did she say? This is not like anything I've ever really considered, but let's give her a go. Because there's so many criteria and so many different, you know, rules, regulations, codes. And still to this day, our formula works. I'll meet in the parking lot. I hand it off to a chaplain. And then they'll go into various rooms. I mean, and the flower arrangements have to fit the criteria, no soil. And this is what was so fascinating in the floral design course. And I thought, that's cool. That's a challenge. Finding long living, long life flowers, ones with obviously no thorns, uh, fragrance, pollen, no soil. I mean, they're going into patients' rooms or they're going into the emergency room. And to me, I just love that, you know, trying to find something that was a bit of a challenge. And also putting a smile on someone's face on their faces. And I just love the fact. And so now I have so much fun. I put them in like little coffee mugs with like wet foam. And I came across this company with like guitar handles, piano handles, you know, just whimsy and make someone smile. 
So I, I thought that was, you know, very fulfilling. And then I came across Pedal Project, which is a wonderful organization. It's a group of volunteers over at this assisted living here in Tennessee. They go to this the memory unit there. And quite a few residents, I'd say maybe between 15 to 20 residents in the memory care unit, get together, create these arrangements, and they disperse them to other nursing homes, assisted livings in the area. Now, I don't want to say really partnered, but or affiliated. They Let's just say that they work with a floral distributor, wholesaler in the area and it's called jenny's wholesaler and it's the oldest one in tennessee it's like 1904 so they're still in operation a change of owners but they continued on the tradition which i think is wonderful once a week i'll go over there and they donate flowers that either don't meet their standards or they'll get slightly loved ones from you know the convention center or weddings or what have you and I'll take those flowers over to Morning Point. And then that way, then everything else takes place. But what's funny is that there's this bagel place on the way. So I'll get a bunch of muffins. And so I'll kind of trade. It's like the barter system. I'll go over there. I'll <laughs> trade muffins for moms. I'm like, here we go. It's this very old school. It's like, here's some muffins. Everything is just done out of just pure unadulterated just love and wanting to help others and just kind of continuing out, you know, just sending out that kind of just wonderful enjoyment and vibration. It's really nice. It's a win-win. I always hear that the best way to forget about your own problems is to do something nice for other people. So you you found your it. Yeah, or it kind of found me. But it took, I had to work for it. I mean, I, I know that sounds silly, but it's just like, oosh, took many years. I mean, to be like 47 and, and find your it. <laughs> Am I a little late to the party? No, you are not. You are not <laughs> late to the party at all. I've talked to a lot of people, men and women, and they want to do something, but they just don't know what. And they're kind of paralyzed about trying to find it. And I think until you take the first step, it's very, very difficult. The first step for you was the aptitude test. And I'm going to put a couple of those links in the show notes. So if other people want to do that, they can. Yeah. It's all about being inspired and inspiring others. If I was listening or so, and I'd be like, I'd never think of that. And I can't even tell you, Pam, like how I came across or which one it was or what. It was just like a, meh, just a silly kind of thing that just was in front of me. And I just ended up doing it. I think you just have to remember that instead of looking at the whole picture and trying to figure out what you're going to do. It's just much easier if you take the very first step. What are your, some of your favorite things to do in the Aspen area? I have to tell you, I'm kind of like the unicorn. I never went to Aspen to ski. I can ski, you know, to lunch and that's it. <laughs> I'm like the odd bird. It's just like, let me tell you, I'm going to whisper this. Hopefully not everyone. No, I'm not a big skier. <laughs> you know, so for me, I went to Aspen in the summertime. So I got hooked in the summertime. And I was heavily into my animals and doing the farm stuff in Woody Creek. I mean, my ski suit was a Carhartt. And I was out there on the tractor and, and just doing all the stuff. But Aspen just has so much history. 
and it's right there. Everything's condensed right there. And it's kind of like always changing. You know, those six, seven or so blocks, I mean, it's always like evolving. I mean, there's such a great, you know, library and art museum there. And so many wonderful hikes, the Hunter Creek Trail. You know, I'm on the board of the Aspen Animal Shelter and grabbing a dog, taking it for a hike, you know, uh, grabbing a dog and, and maybe going into town, uh, having a coffee. And there's like these little blankets that fit over the animal, the dog, if you're walking a dog, and it'll say for adoption or please adopt Aww. me. So, yeah, yeah. So really, I mean, biking, I mean, just whatever. I should say, I've never really been into alpine skiing, but John and I both, because he was a major telemark skier, alpine skier, what have you. And it's so funny because in the last few years, he and I both discovered that we love Nordic. Is it cross country? Yeah. So we will go down like, you know, right a mile from our place, there's a nice cut track, or we'll go to the golf course or the North Star Preserve. They always have fresh cut tracks out there. So we'll cross country ski out there. And it's something that we'll kind of do together, you know, and and you get such a great workout in 40 minutes, boom. I'd love to try that. I've always heard that that's really fun. How did you meet John? I was modeling for this ski magazine with one of his close friends. And John had just come off the road. He, he was just coming back from Japan. And this is like 8990. It was just kind of one of those weekends where he was playing with Jimmy Buffett. He was just playing at various charities. And we kind of just kept bumping into one another. And finally, at, at the show that he was playing with Buffett, he was walking out the back and I was like, hey, and I, I don't know, we just kind of, you know, struck up a conversation. And I was, I, it was funny, I was actually working at, I mean, I was working two or three jobs at the time. And at this one store where I was working, he called up. Now, this is very bizarre. Because I was like, oh, yeah, pop by tomorrow or something. He never did. He got caught up doing something. But he did call right around closing time. And by golly, the owner of the store was like, John? He's like, Judy? Oh, wait, they were neighbors. They were on the same swim team in North <laughs> Wales, Pennsylvania. Oh, my. And she lived around the corner from him when they were like, you know, in sixth grade, seventh grade. He's like, Judy? And they were like reminiscent. So it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is small. another small world story. From day one, we were just, I just... I just knew he's a good soul. Ah, and 26 years later. Close to 30. This will 30. be 29. I've got a question for you. This podcast, was this one of your ifs like seven years ago? Or how did this transpire? Oh my gosh. I, I wanna... Yes, yes. I'd love to tell you this story. Okay. So probably since my mid-40s, I'm 64. But anyway... I was thinking, what am I going to do? I have two boys. They're now 33 and 35. I thought, what am I going to do when they go to college? I'd been a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. and I loved it. Wouldn't change it, you know. And like you, I was busy, 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 involved in all kinds of stuff. But I thought, you know, I'm reasonably intelligent, and I want to do something. And I agonized. And this went on for years, I'd been agonizing, and one day my husband said, what would you do if you could do anything at all? And very quickly, I said, I'd talk to people and learn their stories. And he said, well, why don't you do it then? 
So that's how it got started. I love it. I love talking to people like you and hearing the different stories. Every single person has one. I love this. And then once you release the grip and you don't like, you know, and you don't white, stop white knuckling it and right there in front of you. I talk to so many people my age and they say, I want to do something, but I don't know what I want to do. My kids are grown and gone and or for whatever reason, and they just don't know where to start. And like you started with the aptitude test. And then I started, you know, once I figured out, okay, this is what I want to do. It's like, well, how in the world do I do it? But you just have to take that first step. Yes, that's exactly it. You know, there's so much to be said for simplicity. And when I get overwhelmed, I think, let's get those principles. It's the basic principles and just doing one thing and focusing on that. Yes. So yes. that's, that, that's the saving. It's just like, I know it's not to, you know, speaking cliches, but yeah, one thing at a time or whatever, but there's, there's truth in that. When I get overwhelmed, I think, okay, just do the next thing. That's exactly it. And to be honest with you, this morning, because I'm like, oh my gosh, I had to download the Zoom app on the on my phone. This is what we're talking about. Instead of getting frantic and going like, oh my nerd. I said, just download the app and don't panic. Don't think about the worst. Just one thing. And I just kept pressing buttons. Like a magic eight ball just showed up. I'm like, I even got nervous about doing this, this interview with you, this, this podcast, because I'm like, I don't like talking about myself. Oh, I hate this. But I said, you know what? I'm going to. But this is the kind of stuff that, for me personally, it makes me grow. Because yes. things that I don't necessarily want to do, I have to sit back and say, why don't I want to do it? Is it because I'm, I'm afraid? And if there's something that's going to be positive, but I just feel inadequate or I feel like it's going to be a stretch, I do it. Because that's the kind of stuff that makes me grow. Well, Amy, it's time for one new thing. I always ask my guests what one new thing they've done or discovered lately. And I'm anxious to hear what you have to share with us. Well, ballroom dancing. I love it. I kind of got out of it in the last year or so, but I still have my my dancing shoes, my ballroom dancing shoes. And I'm, you know what? I might actually, this is prompting me to call up and kind of go back for a couple more lessons. <laughs> but I love it. I absolutely love it. Is this something you do with your husband? No. I actually first got involved with the ballroom dancing because I wanted to work on my gait and my posture. And I have to tell you, I'm not huge into, I'm not a gym rat. You know, working out for me is like, I don't (laughs) like it. I'm going to be honest. So I'm like, how can I get creative? It's like sneaking broccoli into a brownie mix. It's like, you know, (laughs) so I I had to get creative with how I work out. Okay. Like I'll speed walk, but I thought, what else can I do? You know, so ballroom dancing. And plus I kind of find that I slouch and I just, and I'm like, I want to have like that dancer. I want to work on just my posture and everything, you know, dancers have such great posture. Yeah. Yeah. Just your poise and how you hold yourself and just walk. So that's kind of why I, I got into it, but I I definitely want to get back into it. I like that. I like the idea of finding a way to creatively work out. And by the way, when you started talking about posture, I 
sat up straighter in my chair here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it is. So anyway, <laughs> that's a good new thing. I like that. Amy, I love talking with you. I hope your story encourages other people to find their it. And I appreciate you sharing yours. And that's it for today's show. A huge thanks to Amy for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes, spread the word about this show, and consider leaving a rating or review. A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance. And thanks to you for tuning in. And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.